I'm sure all of us have had many times in our lives where we've come upon mountains of trials. I know I've had some in my life that seemed insurmountable, too steep to climb, too hard to get over that mountain. I knew that I could only stand at the base of the mountain for so long before I had to start climbing. Life kind of pushes us that way. Now every time I scaled an elevation was close to reaching a plateau, I'd fall back down. I would backslide back into the fleshly and sinful things of the world. Who else can relate to this? I'm sure all of us can. The problem I had when trying to get through these trials was that I kept trying to use my own strength to conquer the peak. But I never could. And I could never make the connection as to why, no matter how hard I tried. I was trying to do it my own and was drowning in the constant deficiencies and sin that I was ensnared in. I was finally able to overcome when I understood that I had to let Jesus put me over his shoulder and carry me up to the summit. I was taking to account the grace that saved me, but I wasn't letting that same grace lead me. There's a huge difference. We can know Jesus, but if we're not following him and letting him lead us in our lives, we won't go anywhere. For anyone in this world to have a life that God intended for them, then the beauty of Christ has to come and overtake the failure of man. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I was trudging up those mountains as Doug Gorman instead of trying to subdue it in the example and name of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus... I now know that any highlands can be taken because the salvation Jesus gave is ours and we are made conquerors by his name. But to be these conquerors, we have to fully understand that the beauty is not us, but it is our Savior. I had to realize that I was a beautiful failure. I still am, as are all believers as we will be until our Savior comes to take us to be with Him and gives us our glorified bodies. We are made eternally beautiful by the wondrous grace of Jesus Christ. But while in this flesh, we're still wretched and vile and destitute. Psalm 73:26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Being made a new creation, the failures of our flesh stay with us. Why? Well, part of it is to be the motivation to push us to be more and more like Christ every day. Because we don't want to be like that anymore. If you would, turn to Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, 
knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And the ungodly is everybody. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There's no shame for us in Jesus, only victory. So we should give him his due honor by emulating him. We are to imitate Christ. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Strive to be Christ-like in every aspect of your life. Brothers and sisters, I know that the catastrophe, which is our flesh, will always miss the mark. But the beautiful, that is Jesus Christ, will never fail. It will never waver, ever. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence, knowing this, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our problem is, is that we cannot see the beauty that we have become in Christ because we cannot remove the veil of deception that covers our faces. We've been saved. But when we're not doing what Christ has told us to do, when we're not following him the way we're supposed to do, it's ignorance. Because we're not staying in his word and we're not praying enough. We're not doing what scripture tells us to do. The Holy Spirit will eliminate that veil when we pray, repent of our sins, stay in God's word, and long to be in fellowship with him. Remember, the love of Christ can cradle the most fragile person, slowly removing the stains and scars of old wounds. His renewal is brought forth so that we can love ourselves as he loves us. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own and is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffer, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. We're told to love like this because God loves like this, unconditionally. We go through life thinking we deserve what we already have. Jesus took for us what we deserve, and now we have the gift of God's love forever. He took it for us. Colossians 3.3 says, For you, your old self, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus Christ, the most beautiful man, the most beautiful human being, the most beautiful God that our human eyes have yet to see, he absolutely adores us even though we still fail. Do you not know that our faith in him has made us so beautiful that we are now the envy of all creation? All creation. On heaven and earth. We are wrapped in him now, tomorrow, and for eternity. 
1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We can only traverse this life through the benevolent heart of God. Without taking that narrow path through the center of the heart of Christ, we can only barrel down that wide path that leads to nothing but pain, death, and destruction. 1 John 4, 7-11 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All of our burdens and sins are dismantled by God from the appreciation of the faith in His Son. How precious is that? He does that for us because of our faith in Jesus. And still it's hard for us to love one another. But when you sit down and you look at all of the love that pours out of the Holy Scriptures and you see the love that Jesus has for you, it should be easy to love any human being, whether you like them or not. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What do you think about that? God sings for you and quiets you with his love. Why don't we comprehend what it means to be made in his image? We, we don't take a lot of stock into that. You know, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. We were created to be like and love like his beautiful son, Jesus Christ. He loves us so much that he forgave us while we were crucifying him. Luke 23, 34, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Our sin put him on that tree. Our mouths cursed him, but he'd still kiss us. Our hands beat him, but he would cleanse and wash his blood off of our hands. We would tire from flogging him, but he would give him himself to let us lean on him to rest. We nailed his hands, his feet, and we pierced his side, yet he intercedes for and is prepared a place for us to be with him. Jesus is love. Love is Jesus. Okay? That we could do these things to him, but he still loves us even though we've done it. C.S. Lewis wrote, You can't analyze God. He is too awesome, too big, and too mysterious. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. God is always the answer. I don't care what question you have in life, God will have the answer. Or God is the answer himself. Turn to John 17. John 17, verses 20 through 26. 
when Jesus prayed, he said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory with which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Christ lived, prayed, died, and rose again for you. Why? Because of his love for you. Because of his love for all of us. You know, we can never fathom the depths of his love for each of us individually. But we can't thank him for it with all that we have. The greatest wealth this world will ever be given is sheltered from physical eyes. We have to see it through faith, through spiritual eyes. We have to see and obey his gift, the Holy Spirit, that quietly captivates our soul. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. His love and grace allows us the tranquility to know that when we expire, we're instantly with him. Knowing this, we should be fully obedient to the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. We know where we're going, then we should act like it while we're here. Acts 20, 24 says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. All Christians have a ministry God has called them for. All of them do. What's yours? If you're not sure, then consult the Holy Spirit. But I will give you one bit of sound advice from my experience with this. Whatever he has for you, don't say no. And don't run from it. Because what will happen is you'll do nothing but start running around those mountains of doubt again. That's all that will happen. You are a sinner just as I am. But we need to stop forgetting that we're already forgiven. That's our problem. We feel that we are unworthy when we sin. Jesus Christ made us worthy with his substitutionary atonement on the cross. When we sin, we're just being stupid or selfish or prideful. Repent. Repent, 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 repent. As children of God, we must ask him to cleanse us of our iniquities and we can then leap off of the ledge of iniquity and fall into the devoted and safe hands of our Lord. God gives beauty for ashes. Failure is traded in for the beautiful love of Jesus. But with the repentance, we must also forgive as we've been forgiven. Luke 7, 47-48 says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. How much do you love? How many sins have been forgiven you? Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Our hearts are hazardous. And when left in depravity, the crack in our foundation that is caused by it will widen each passing day. When we harbor anxiety and doubt, they will only swell into unbearable pain. Why do we always entertain temptations, contradictions, and uncertainties? Because we are the fool of the documentary that our life is focused upon. That's why. We're the fool in our own one-man show. We have to relinquish the hold that we have on ourselves and become fully submissive to God. And I know a lot of people don't like that word submission. Well, they need to get over it. Because when we were saved by the sacrificial blood of Christ, we owe Him everything. We should long to submit to Him because of what He did for us. I have never known what life truly meant and the joy and purposes for it until I strove to submit to God. Most of my life was spent bowing, bowing down into submission to the altar of the world and the sins of the flesh. That's who I was bowing down to. That's who I was in submission to. But bowing down to Christ has brought me his love and a place with him for eternity. Others who have not yielded in submission to God are still compliant to this world, and eventually that will crush them and send them straight to hell if they don't turn in repentance to Jesus Christ. As with anyone here who does not have that relationship with him. I pray that all do, but God only knows your hearts. I don't, and no one else does. Micah 7, 18-19 Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's the beauty of the love of Christ. No matter how many times we screw up or backslide, or do something irresponsible, he is always right behind us waiting for us to fall into his great and ardent arms. He's always there. That's why he's patient with us. He knows our desires, our callings, our gifts, and what we will do for him to bring him glory before we are even conceived in the womb. I love Christ with everything within me, you guys. But I just want my attitude and my persona and my mind to follow to that accord. That's the struggle. You know, I've seen many tribulations and struggles in my life, and many of those were self-induced. And I'm sure you guys can relate to that as well. But God has always, always given me a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You start gaining wisdom when you understand that if you stay in the shielding of his protective will, 
He will guide you around those mountains and through those valleys that steal so much time away from you in your life. If you stand strong in the storm and cry out for Jesus, Proverbs 20.22 says, Wait for the Lord and He will deliver you. Jesus Christ extracted the stains of our selfish and prideful past from us, giving us inner peacefulness by way of His Holy Spirit that resides in our still vicious dwelling. Christ gives us dignity in our shamefulness. He gives us serenity when we should fear. He gives us true life when we stand in death. We have faith in Christ, but we constantly have no faith in ourselves. Why not? Doesn't the Holy Spirit live inside of you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we as Christians, true believers in Christ, have all of the faith of God within us, and we are called to use it to save souls for Jesus in this cursed world. Why do we forget that? Why do we have no faith in ourselves when... Christ put all of this faith in us for believing in Him. The Holy Spirit is God, right? Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the truest man and the greatest man among men. The making of a man of God is not how tough or how rugged or successful that he is in business. Real men associate with, follow, and imitate Jesus Christ. Real women associate with, follow, and imitate Jesus Christ. Those bring about the virtues that God intended for manhood and womanhood. Be like Jesus. He is the perfect example to follow. And since He's the perfect example, that means there's no other examples to follow. Scripture gives us countless step-by-step -step instructions on how to do so. We have no excuse and our lives have no significance unless we are doing the work of Christ to spread his message to the lost of the world. That's what we were told to do. That's what the apostles did. That's what the disciples did. That's what the early church fathers did. That's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus Christ. Period. He said, go out and preach the gospel to all of the world. You know, the most intelligent, wealthy beautiful and gifted people in this world are going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. Nobody gets a free pass. They will go to hell separated from his love because they will not accept the free gift of that love. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love what 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. That's why people think we're nuts, to put it in a nutshell. That's why they think we're blind or they think we're brainwashed. But no, we understand because... Only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are your eyes open to the things of God. Then it all makes sense. 
I know that we are broken. But we need to praise God because of Him we are immune. And what I mean by that is His immunity is the only thing that keeps us alive in the temptations and the evil in this world that we fall into daily. Jesus Christ is the cure for the cancer called the world, Satan, and the flesh. Guard your hearts. Put on God's armor. Repent and flee from enticement and immorality. Why don't you repent? Why don't you forgive? People could say that they do, but have you? Only you know that, and only God knows that. Matthew 5.24 says, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You will never be in fellowship with God if there is unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus forgave all of us. Why do we still harbor unforgiveness toward others? Even those who are closest to you will let you down. And we know that. But that's not in the realm of possibility with Jesus Christ. He'll never let us down. Matthew 5, 44 through 45, Jesus said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now over in the Middle East, I saw a Christian school that was burnt down. But on the outside, the students wrote, those verses, that we are to love our enemies. That's pretty powerful. God wants us to forgive. And God wants to forgive us. In Numbers 14, 19 through 20, it says, Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. But we know the Lord will chastise us if we do sin. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And I think that we do that so that the person knows that we've forgiven them. Repent and forgive. But of course, above all things, and most importantly, we are to love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We have to love as Christ love. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you, said Christ, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But that love and your representation of Christ, it can't be fake. I love them, but I don't like this false show that they put on for people. You cannot say with your mouth that you love God and also love the trappings and sins of the world with your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. False converts may be able to fool us, but God sees below the surface. He knows our hearts. Romans 12.9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
And I can tell you one thing about me. I'm a big goofball. My wife will attest to that. But when I'm up here, you guys will always see my sincerity. Because that is from the love that Christ gave me that I'm trying to push back to you that will reciprocate back up to him. Be the beautiful failure that you are. That will show people the genuine love of Jesus. Show people that he saves in spite of all of our mistakes and our disappointments. That is being genuine. That is what is draw, well, that's what really draws people to Christ. Is when they see that you're a real person with a lot of faults and a lot of mistakes and a lot of things that you've done wrong, but God saved you. And then they see that difference in your life that he's made. Why does he hold us so dear? Why are we worth it? Because the God of all creation made us in his image, the crown jewel of that creation. God wants our love and he wants us to choose to love him. Yet we sinned against him. We ran from him as fast as we could and when he finally came down to us, what did we do? We killed him. Jesus came showing us that it did not matter the cost it took for our love. He wants it and died on the cross at Calvary for us to prove it. His willingness to love us cost him everything, even though we were the least worthy of such love. Christ's love is shown to us by his leaving of heaven, where he was worshipped and honored as he merited. Coming to earth as a man where he would be taunted, betrayed, trampled, and crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, rising again from the dead on the third day for us. Sometimes people may give their lives willingly for ones that they deem as worthy, you know, a friend, a relative, or other good people, quote-unquote. But Christ's love goes beyond that. Christ's love extends to those most unworthy of it. He willingly took the punishment of those who tortured him, hated him, campaigned against him, and cared nothing about him. Those who were most undeserving of his love, not just them, still today. The same ones that punish him, that torture him, that hate him, that campaign against him, and care nothing about him. What greater love is there? You know, you can search for love in every crevice of the sin-cursed world, but every false religion, every human being, every worldly thing, and it will not be true love. I would call the greatest love you find in this world is hate compared to the true love of Jesus Christ. No love is comparable to His. John 15, 9 and 10 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. God sent his son to die for you and your name was written in the Lamb's book of life stamped with the seal of his blood. All he wants is our love. Why don't we give it to him? Because most of the time we're too worried about ourselves. Lastly, turn to John 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 26. There's a lot about love in this chapter that I think sometimes people overlook. John 13 verses 1 through 26. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. Can you imagine Jesus not saying anything, just going in? And he had saw that they weren't doing what was customary. But they came in, they didn't wash their feet. So Jesus quietly went, got ready, got the basin ready, and started washing their feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when Jesus had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, the God of all creation, has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. What's amazing there is Jesus was troubled in spirit. Even though he knew this before, man was even created. It still broke his heart that he was losing someone. That even Judas meant that much to him. And this, this next moment has always stood out to me. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him. We know that's John. He wanted him to ask who Jesus was speaking of. And leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And what you see here is the intimacy of Christ that we can have with him. Even in the most trying moments. Through our belief and faith in Him, we have the ability to confide in and be close to Him. We can find comfort, trust, and reassurance in His bosom. The love of God in Jesus screams out to us from the pages of the Bible. His love is so tender and magnificent, but we overlook it in so many ways. When no one else will listen, 
He will. When you have no comfort, turn to His comforter who lives inside of you. When you trust no one, He's the one you can lean on. The inseparable love of Jesus Christ is the safest place that human beings can run to. His perfectness covers our imperfections. His faith in us remedies the unfaithfulness that we at times have in Him. Jesus took the three nails, the scarves, that crown on that cross. But what He did was He took the first step toward ascension for all of us. The beauty amid these horrid ruins, you know, His grace and His silent, powerful intrusion has changed us to the point where as believers, we are almost beyond recognition for those of us that truly seek Him and follow Him. The people that knew me a long time ago cannot believe that I am a pastor now. That's what God does with people. The highest peaks, the deepest abyss are minuscule compared to the love that He has for us, each one of us individually. Our God who holds the expanse of the universe on His fingertips. A distance our minds could never comprehend still insisted on coming to us to die for us all and having a one-on-one relationship with each one of us. That's how important we are to God. That is how important you are to Him. Hold your head up, knowing that the beautiful failure that you are is the most beautiful to Him in all of creation because of Jesus Christ. And there could be people sitting here in this church that have been coming here for a long time or going to church for a long time saying they have a relationship with Jesus. Do you really? Do you know that you do? It's that important. And I will plead this with every single one of you because I care about you. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. And I'll do everything I can to plead with you to get to see that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. You hear it. But you have to do it. You have to say yes, Jesus. Because if not, all you're doing is just pushing him away and you keep telling him no. No. 